Welcome back to Insight on Cap Radio. I'm Beth Ruiak. On Saturday, the number of COVID-19 cases in the world crossed the 100,000 mark. Already today, we're up to more than 111,000. A Johns Hopkins database says more than 63,000 of those people have recovered. Nearly 4,000 have died. So there's a remaining unresolved situation for about 48,000 people. The U.S. government, as you heard in our earlier segment, has moved from containment strategy to mitigation. How do you keep it from being politicized? This is a good question for the political junkie Ken Rudin. He's back home in Washington, D.C. after his visit to Sacramento last week. Hi, Ken. Hello, Beth. We have certainly moved a lot faster and farther in this conversation than we were when you were here last week. And this Grand Princess cruise ship has been evidence of the discussion at the federal versus state versus local level. Well, that's absolutely true. But I think, you know, after listening to your segment just now, which was just unbelievably informative and, and, and as frightening as it is, it's so depressing to then switch to the political ramifications of it all because you hear, you know, you hear people pointing fingers, blaming other sides, talking about how the, the Democrats and the media and even the, the Fed are responsible for the fall of the uh, Dow and, and what's going on, the, the scaring people. But then you also have a government that trots out, you know, Ben Carson, who's the secretary of HUD, for goodness sakes. And he, he comes on ABC yesterday and talks about things that he has no idea about, whether there's going to be a virus anytime soon. I'm sorry, whether there's going to be a vaccine anytime soon, uh, how to treat the people on the ship. There were so many conflicting stories coming from the government that it, it adds to the confusion and it adds to the hopelessness. Because you basically, in a time like this, you turn to the government for leadership. Governor Gavin Newsom tried to say that he was aligned with the vice president's perspective. And, of course, Vice President uh, Mike Pence being put in charge of leading the country's effort. I just want to play a soundbite for you, Ken, because the governor was asked about Trump and some of his remarks. So here goes. We're in 68 lawsuits with this administration. And so I don't and I've not held back. But I got to tell you, I, I'm just I'm not interested in trying to pick apart arguments and take cheap shots. The vice president of the United States was taking notes. Vice president of the United States uh, held three specific calls with me personally. In addition to the myriad of other calls, his team has been truly exceptional. So I think you look for where um, where there's unity, right, Ken, in terms of uh, a uh, countrywide response to this? Well, sure. I mean, yes. I mean, because we all want to back the president. We all want to rally around the flag and we all know how dangerous and, and frightening this whole thing is. But at the same time, when you have the governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, who is also his state has really been badly hit by the virus. And when the president, when, when the governor Inslee criticized the president or at least has takes issue with some of the things the president is saying, the president calls him a snake. I mean, you just, you know, you know I mean, it's one thing to campaign and I mean, to, to visit a CDC facility wearing a Keep America hat, a great, you know, Keep America great hat. And that's fine. You want to campaign, that's fine. But when you call somebody a governor in a state where, where the, the, the virus is spreading, to call him a snake, it just, it just demeans the whole process and hurts our, again, it hurts our confidence in the government. Two members of Congress, Ted Cruz 
and Paul Gosar are going into quarantine or in quarantine right now because of exposure at event. I think it's likely to say that this will happen to more members of Congress. I, I wonder if the response in Washington shifts as the virus moves more within the beltway. Well, the, the sad thing about the, the, the Paul Gosar and Ted Cruz, they both got the virus uh, shaking hands with somebody at CPAC, the Conservative right. Political Afri- Action Conference, not too long ago. I think it was Mick Mulvaney at that conference who said basically that it's the Democrats who are trying to instill fear that there's no big deal. We also saw Congressman um, uh, 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 um, Matt Gates of Florida appear on the House floor not too long ago wearing a gas mask because he was being sarcastic about the fears that were being spread about the virus. And then we learned on Friday that one of his constituents in Northwest Florida, one of Matt Gates's constituents, died of the virus. So, so look, I, re- I, I regret the fact that people are mocking some people of Congress who are getting the disease because uh, that is unacceptable. But so is the fact that, I mean, what's, I mean it, it seems like if nothing else, the more people get it in Washington, I think more and more, especially on the Republican side, will start to take this much more seriously than they have been. So how might coronavirus protocols change upcoming events in this election year, Can The town halls, the rallies, maybe even the conventions this summer? Well, that's a great question. I think it's certainly too soon to say. I mean, some people are saying that, you know, as, as horrific as this is, as frightening as this is, it could start to fade in May and June. Look, I don't know. I don't I have no idea, but I mean, I don't know how long, you know, but of course, if the convention were this week or next week or next month, I'm I'm almost sure it was canceled. Now, of course, nobody ever cancels an election, even in World War II in 1944, uh, as the world is in, in, in at war. They still hold the election. So I don't think anything that drastic would happen. But I guess we're, I guess the good news is that the conventions are in this summer and hopefully there'll be a turn in the, in the tide in the virus by then. OK, states that have declared a state of emergency besides California, Washington, Florida, Kentucky, New York, Maryland, Utah and Oregon. Um, The next Democratic presidential debate is March 15th. Tomorrow, we have six states holding their primaries. I guess let's just tap on the presidential race real quickly to wrap this up. Well, I mean, Michigan is the big story tomorrow, just as South Carolina was so crucial for Joe Biden on February 29th. Michigan, 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 wow. Michigan (laughs) is big for Bernie Sanders because he won it four years ago. But again, we've seen just as the black vote is rallying and bringing behind Joe Biden, as we saw in Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, the white vote is also doing very well for Joe Biden, too. He was not supposed to win Minnesota or Massachusetts. So this is a tough state for for Bernie Sanders. He's attacking Joe Biden on trade. But again, with all these key endorsements uh, for Joe Biden, uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris in the last few days, Gretchen Whitmer, the very popular governor of Michigan, it's going to be a tough battle for Bernie Sanders. And again, a big a loss in Michigan is going to be followed next week by Florida, Ohio, and Illinois, which could also be Biden states. A week ago, we were calling Bernie Sanders the front runner. Now we're talking about how long he stays in the race. I don't want to write anybody off, but boy, this is changing so rapidly. Mm. A week ago, Elizabeth Warren was still in the race, and that's changed since you left Sacramento, too, on Wednesday. 
That's so, absolutely true. She was the first candidate in the race, and it goes back to the issue. Can a woman beat Donald Trump? Once upon a time, there were four, there were six women in the race, including four senators, Warren, Klobuchar, uh, Kamala Harris, and, and Kirsten Gillibrand. Now she's out, and now nobody even talks about Elizabeth Warren anymore, except for the fact that who is she going to endorse? And I think that kind of demeans the kind of role, the role that she played in this campaign, if all they care about is who she's going to endorse. Yeah, on Saturday Night Live, she said, what, I'll be that like the New York Times and endorse both of them? She said. <laughs> you know something? I mean, look, Barack Obama doesn't have to endorse anytime soon. Neither does Elizabeth Warren. She has beefs with both campaigns. The Bernie, Bernie Sanders people were brutal to her after that debate when they talked about whether Bernie told uh, Elizabeth in private about whether a woman could win or not. So so Elizabeth Warren, there's no reason for her to endorse. I don't think it's going to change anything. And it keeps her independence. And it keeps the, everybody wooing her, which is fine as well. Okay. And Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race. Got to go, Ken. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon again. Th- thank you, Beth. Ken Rudin, the political junkie. We're going to talk a little bit of census to wrap up the hour next. You're listening to Insight on Cap Radio. Cap Radio.